Nazmul, we are back. Outsource to Profits is actually getting some traction. As I saw on LinkedIn, a few people from Bangladesh have actually reached out and they said they really appreciated the podcast from the view of West and East and how us founders think and you who run an agency and are supplying talent back to the North Americans. So with that, uh, we have some more questions from the crowd, so to speak, and want to be able to tackle some of these for founders and CEOs. Absolutely. I'm really happy that we're doing it and we're already seeing the traction. I was hoping that we will start seeing, seeing some kind of traction after a month or two, but it's already happening, right? It's just been two weeks or three and it's all, we can already see how much people really need this. I love it. I love it. So let's dive in. First question would be, what is the process of outsourcing? What are the steps that anybody can go through when they are thinking of outsourcing? Yeah. So as a founder CEO, here's the process that we've designed in our curriculum. And I think it's really important that you follow this order of operations. Step number one is mindset. You have to honestly understand why you're doing this at a molecular level, because you're going to need to defend this to stakeholders, investors, existing employees that might feel that their job's at risk. Um, customers are going to question you prospects, vendors, and suppliers. So the first is understand why are you doing this? Are you doing this for greater profits or redeploying profits because you need to pay off debt or launch a new product or you want to be more competitive with your pricing or better margins, whatever the reason is. Step number two is you then need to dive into benchmarking. So if I am going to do this, is it an additive effort in meaning, am I adding capacity or people that don't exist in my company today. So supporting functions for my sellers, supporting functions for customer success, or am I considering replacing? Because I've benchmarked my social media manager in North America who cost me $70,000 a year, which makes no sense when I can do that for 12,000 offshore. So that's kind of step two. Now you have the why, you have the who, now you need to move into the how. And this is where you start to first formulate an infrastructure plan. The infrastructure plan is important because you will now think through um, the people process and technology you will need to support your team offshore. So making sure that your employment agreements are set, you have uh, standard operating procedures in place, you have virtual communication platforms ready to go. Those are just small examples. And then you move into talent acquisition, which is a sales process. In talent acquisition, there's two parts. You have to acquire the talent, you have to onboard the talent. So you need a strategy to attract recruiters and or as well the talent itself. People don't just from the Philippines or Bangladesh, fly in the window magically like i want to work for you no no no. you have to build a business case that you are secure you're safe you're stable uh you know you have to uh, we call it the four s's you really need to be able to demonstrate we are an employer of choice we've got something that's long potentially long term for you um so you have a recruitment strategy and then you have an onboarding strategy that is not just transferring the knowledge of the tasks and skills of the role, but you're working on 
skills that I believe, this is my personal opinion, that teammates in the East, your offshore teammates or outsourced teammates could benefit from. Decision-making, autonomous decision-making, strategic thinking, um, improved communication, both verbally and written. These are soft skills that you can give your teammates above and beyond like the how you do the job that will enhance their experience, your collective experience together. So that's the journey I see. Now, from your perspective, you're bringing talent to the forefront to us in North America. How would you answer that question? Um, I think you've covered pretty much everything. Uh, but in terms of the process of outsourcing from our side, what, what we think is, first thing first, um, how do we start reaching out to people? Right? How do we start letting people know that now we exist? So one of the ways is definitely us enlisting ourselves on marketplaces and then there are some other social media platforms that we usually go for. One is definitely LinkedIn. The other thing that has worked pretty well for some, some of the people that I have worked with is uh, Facebook groups. So they can find really good lists through Facebook groups as well. So th that's how we start. Um, and then obviously we have to start communicating with the, uh, with the people that we want to work with. Um, and then there are a few other ways, a uh, few other things that we have to do to make sure that the entire thing goes very smoothly. And that's where my next second or next question comes. And uh, would love to take, you know, uh, your insights on it. And then uh, obviously I can jump in. Then people want to know, how do you, how do you manage the whole thing? What does the management look like? So outsourcing management, what did you uh, say about that? Well, there's different avenues because depends on the partnership agreement that you want. So let's actually look at a spectrum. On a spectrum, you, the founder, can ingest this new talent in-house, no different than your onshore employees. So that means somebody on your onshore team is going to manage those teammates and or they are the manager, the offshore talent is the manager themselves, like yourself, like you lead all of our marketing departments. That's option A. Option B is what's known as a BPO. A BPO means that they have placed a manager of people and they have infrastructure. So there might be a physical office, there's computers, phone lines, internet, the whole bit. And you, you know, I use this saying, it's called like one throat to choke, meaning you have one person. It's an English saying. I know it's a terrible one, but it's you have one manager that you deal with day to day and they're responsible for ensuring that that team shows up on time, working on budget, working on tasks and so forth. So that's the BPO model. The BPO model just means that they've created a Regis office or an, uh, a, you know, a, um, what's the, the popular one? I'm trying to think of those like, uh, shared office and environments. Uh, we work. It's like a we work talent. The third option is the agency model. The agency model, again, you are employing for an outcome. We have two agencies at Pipeline Signals. And in essence, uh, your marketing agency acts as an agency. It's like, okay, we want to fly the plane from point A to point B. You find the talent. We give you a budget, do social media, content marketing, find the talent, 
just keep the plane up in the air, move it from point A to point B. Same with our, our, our um, engineering and DevOps, right? We have a team in India who, again, we give projects to as a non-technical founder, I can't even read code. What I do know, though, is I need to get the plane from point A to point B, and they take over the whole process, so to speak. So from a managerial standpoint, I know that was a long-winded way of saying you have to decide if this is, is this a singular teammate that's coming in to maybe support customer success or support a marketing function? So you have a robust marketing team and it just doesn't make sense that you're paying onshore talent to do social media posts or 2D video uh, animation. Like that, does, that doesn't make sense to do it in North America. Well, you might choose that the management is in-house with your existing marketing team, your digital marketing team. This is no different than managing onshore. Your onshore teammates probably didn't come into the office every day anyways. So they were already virtual workers. They were already using WhatsApp and Slack. It's the same process. And I think that's where founders get confused. It's just the same thing. Whereas you may choose to be building something bigger and you need an entire team like your marketing agency, or I need an entire DevOps outsourced. That's where you're relying on a statement of work that says, I'm going to pay you based on milestones. You get me from point A to point B, you get paid. You get me from B to C, you get paid. Uh, th those are like strategically, you might want to answer some of the tactical. That's strategically how you might manage offshore talent. You've got to first think about like where, where are you fly in the plane. Let me start with the tactics part. So I think it's really important uh, one is to have the right expectation and two is to have um, either templates or um, SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures on all the things that people will be executing. I have seen it sometimes where company A from US is outsourcing to company B in India, for example, right? And then company A is trying it for the first time and they are giving the work to company B the, to the Indian company. And maybe within a week or two, they're thinking, oh my God, this is not working. This is not exactly what I thought. Um, they're not delivering you know, with, the, with, the kind of, um, with the kind of features or the, or, or, or the frequency that we thought. So that's when I say, did you tell them exactly what you want? And if you said, I want something good, what's the definition of good? Show them what do you want, right? So if you talk about design, show them some of the designs that you think is good. If we talk about social media posting, tell them how many times do you want them to post? And in your definition, what are the good posts look like, right? You can, sh you can share uh, some posts that maybe you have posted uh, that you think are were good. You might be um, uh, wanting to share some, 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 somebody else's post. Uh, long or the short, I, I think it's important to show them what you want. If you show them what, what you want, there's a high chance of them delivering exactly what you want so that's i think in terms of process that's important this this is fantastic and let's kind of dive i want to go a little deeper on this so as part of what we teach you must create a standard operating procedure before they start in their role why in north america you hire your onshore talent this is called the water cooler effect the water cooler effect means that 
I don't need to teach cultural nuances because they live here. And they're most likely going to pick up through osmosis some of the finer details of what good looks like for the role because they might physically come into your office. They might know the people that work there. They can communicate a little easier. They can put the puzzle pieces together faster. Offshore, there's two paths of learning that happen. So offshore talent comes in. There's cultural learning. And there's the skills of the actual role. Like, the, what do I need to do? And so if you make it, see, us founders, we jump off cliffs and we build the power shoot, or parachute on the way down. And we think everybody can do the same thing we can do, which is not true. If you think that you can have people jump off cliffs and learn two things at the same time, number one, what did he actually mean of the steps and order of operations of the role? And two, when he starts every call with saying, so are you good? Are you having a good day? And, you know, all the culture, you remember <laughs> he, you and I had these conversations. You actually yeah. said to me, he's like, what do I say when you always <laughs> say, how's your day? <laughs> it's yeah. just a North America. Yeah. So long the short, if you're having them learn two things at the same time, that's a recipe for disaster. So steps in order of operations of what good looks like, mm. technically, mm. has been documented. Now it's about learning the communication nuances of East versus West. That's it. Now you've made it a lot easier. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example about the cultural culture thing. You know how people know people from Canada are nice, right? They're just nice people. Everybody knows that in the world. Yeah, <laughs> um, and often what happens probably is maybe you're not directly saying something, but somebody who has worked with Canadians would understand. For example, if somebody is not delivering something, maybe you're saying, um, I'm not very, um, maybe you're saying, hey, uh, I was expecting it yesterday. It would be great if you can do it today. You're just being nice, right? You're saying it this yeah. way. But... <laughs> You should have done it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but in some culture, you just, if you say it that way, they will take you lightly. That's just a cultural difference. There is, there is nothing wrong with it. In, in some culture, if you say it this way, they'll be like, ah, he means do it tomorrow. It's fine. In some culture, yes. you should be saying, dude, what the heck happened? Like when you say it, yeah. you're not being mean. That's the way they, they are just used to it. Yeah. And on those cultural differences, I'll give another example. Yeah, so, um, and I noticed it more in India mm. uh, as we partnered, especially we've partnered on the product development engineering side in India. The cultural nuance is to say yes. Like, can you build it in this code? Yes. Yeah. Can you build me a flying car? Yes. Can you take <laughs> me to the moon tomorrow? Yes. They say yes to everything. <laughs> they doesn't mean they have any idea how to do it. So the answer to everything culturally mm -hmm. will be yes. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, if, you know, that's learning the cultural side. But yeah. if all of a sudden the tactical steps are not laid out <laughs> and they can't actually write in that code, right. they don't know how to do web copy. They don't know how to do social posts. Uh -huh. They don't know how to answer the phones. Yeah. Like it, so take away the tactical side mm. by documenting it first true, and true. then learn the cultural thing. 
Yeah, I love it, love it. I love how we 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 try to deep dive and and give examples. I think this is good. This is good. Um, let's end with the last question. Uh, we will keep it short. And 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 as always, we try to answer the questions that people usually ask. So the last question is, what are the risks of outsourcing? Uh, you can give your point of view, and then I'll give mine. Yeah. So when you think of what a myth is, a myth is sometimes based on some semblance of truth, right? Myths get created because people have experienced something, but then what they do is they experience it one time and they there's a, a legacy bias. And I, I wrote about this in the book that we're going to release. I, you know, my head is foggy. I can't even think of the name of this type of bias, but it means if you experience something once, you then assume that every other encounter of this mm. It's always going to be like this. I'll give mm -hmm. you an example. When I, my son went to Cuba mm -hmm. as a little kid, mm -hmm. he didn't like the food. Mm -hmm. He tells everyone. He's 11 years old now. He tells everyone, Cuba's beautiful, but the food sucks. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Your entire country's food sucks because you had like one bad hamburger. <laughs> so the, the concept is what typically us founders, we, we will say, there's time issues like um, the the hours on the clock. There will be quality issues. There will be communication issues. Those are some of the, the big tactical ones that you'll encounter. I think there's also bigger risks. The bigger that you play in this game and you start relying on agencies and BPOs, there's a bigger risk, which is there's a pendulum of power that gets transferred. Nazmul knows this, that we once used an agency in India before we used your agency for marketing. And what happens is they control everything from the website to the SEO to the pay, you know, you name it in marketing, they control it. Well, eventually there's a power dynamic shift. You want something changed? And they say no, or we'll do it in a week. Or we can't find, uh, you know, who has the login to that tool. All of a sudden, it's like, it's like you don't control your own destiny. I think that's a bigger problem, like if you're doing it at massive scale. But at the individual level, I think that the risks are actually more nuanced. You're going to have teammates that don't buy into the same vision as you. They don't support the offshore teammates as well. You don't take communication seriously you don't develop a relationship as you would your onshore teammates like in your onshore teammates i get it you can go have a beer on thursday nights you can't do that offshore but you're still going to need to build you know a communication path to human and human interactions so i think that the risks though obviously as a guy who's done this in three different companies the risks are overcoming your own mindset, and then tactical standard operating procedures. But outside of that, the reward of being able to do things in your business, the, the pliability, the flexibility financially you never had before far outweigh me learning details. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm getting over a cold for the audience <laughs> and for anyone watching the video, my nose keeps running. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I, this is this is really good. 
and I'm really happy that uh, you're doing it. I'm grateful. Um, thank you for doing this, even though you were a little sick. So um, I, I will end with mine. And I will divide the risks of outsourcing. I will personally divide it in, in two groups. One is being a freelancer, what other is, and you know, being a company founder or having a company, then what are the risks? So as a freelancer, here are some of the risks that you might go through. Number one, uh, you might not be able to convince your future wife's parents that you have a steady flow of income. And <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So in our it's culture, convincing your parents you're in a band. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that's what they think. Like you're like you're in your basement, just working on a laptop. Obviously, come on, you're not going to an office. You don't have a tie. You don't have you know whatever two hundred dollars or or I don't know three hundred dollars coming in every single month to your bank account. They think that's security. Uh, but yeah. a lot of freelancers, I think the risk is. If you're if you're trying to convince your future wife's parents that you have a steady flow of income and you have a, a, a secure job or secure career is going to be really hard. Okay, it's just going to be hard. That's the cultural. And that's a that's a legacy bias. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. My my parents when I first became entrepreneurs, uh -huh. they were just like, how do you live every day not knowing what you're going to make? But the funniest thing is. If somebody is working somewhere, if somebody has a job, guess who is who he is working for? The founder. Yeah. Like, how do you not get that? Right. Yeah, anyway, yeah, no, anyway, I'm, well, I don't want to get, you know, dive uh, dive away. Second thing, I would say, and I want to mention this: it doesn't matter if you're a freelancer or a company. Very important. Take care of your tax every single week. Take care of it properly. If you need to work with an agency, if you need to work with a lawyer, so in our country, we work with tax lawyers. Uh, they're not lawyers, but they will help you with, uh, with taxes. If you need to work with them, work with them. If you need to, and, and you have to, I think, if you're from Bangladesh, you should be submitting tax every single year. And I'll tell you, I'll give you two real life you know, examples. One of my friends, um, by the way, before I dive into that, you don't have, to pay tax from Bangladesh if you're earning from outside. Um, and I told you this before, and that's the biggest benefit, but you, but you still have to submit the tax file. You have to submit it. Saying, I got this earning from outside. This is why I don't have to pay tax, and this is why I'm not paying any tax. So you have to submit the file. If you don't submit the file, there is a huge um, uh, you know, uh, risk around it. So after a few years, what can happen is somebody can literally send you a letter saying, hey, you owe this much money to the government. And when that happens after a few years, uh, by the way, full disclosure, that has happened with me. That's when you can't find the previous files. That's when the bank cannot access your old files. All of, this, all of those things can happen. And then you have to end up paying a lot of uh, taxes. So that's one. Two, similar thing can happen uh, with company as well. Um, if, if, if you're not giving the actual documents of your communication uh, and whatever other document that you might have, the C form and everything else, you have to submit that every single year. So you have to take an encashment certificate at the end of every financial year and make sure you do that. Make sure you keep in copy because after three years, they might ask for, ask for it again and make sure you submit that. A friend of mine had to pay $6,000 after three years or something even though he sh shouldn't have paid anything at all. 
it happened just because he was unable to submit the text on time uh, last yeah. lastly i'm going to say it if you are going to be a large company lastly you should not only be worried about taxes that you should be um, paying against your income you should also be worrying about taxes that are that that should be implement, implementing you know around your employees um so a friend of mine who runs a large company now they have been charged of uh tax issues and the government is saying now you have to pay about $150,000 in for just tax back tax just just tax by the way and not on the earnings but on the some of the expenses that you have done some of the expenses that you are not supposed to have i don't want to give in, uh, get into details but all i'm trying to tell you is that this tax issue is huge you should be taking care of it from day one if you don't down the line if you you know if, if you keep doing this if you keep uh, working on outsourcing if you're still a freelancer or if you have your own company doesn't matter what it will come back it will come back so i know this is something very serious and that's why I'm, i am trying to explain it this way uh, but do take care of it as soon as possible and every single year well this is good because i just built the wireframe for a course certification course for offshore talent when they start with our with our customers it's a course for the offshore talent to maximize their experience with their new offshore employer or their onshore employer. And I'm now going to include something on tax. I didn't have that in there. That's good. No, that's fantastic. So if you are interested in outsourcing or offshoring, if you want to hire team members, if you want to get to learn more about how outsourcing works, do go to our website. I'll give the link below and see exactly how I can help you, how we can help you. And if you are a freelancer, if you want to outsource to other companies in, in Canada or US, do get in touch with us. I'm sure there will be many ways we can work together. And we have some free downloads, free resources that will definitely, definitely help you. So thank you so much, Jamie, uh, for this episode. I loved it and see you on the next episode. Sounds good. Take care.